Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's another beautiful morning in the home of common sense as we park our tanks on the lawn of the Prime Minister and his sage advisers. The tide is definitely turning, ladies and gentlemen, on vaccine passports and even mass testing just 24 hours after we declared we weren't putting up with it. Ladies and gentlemen, victory is within our grasp, even if we have to utilise some rather unusual bedfellows to achieve it. I'm talking, of course, about Sir Keir Starmer, Sir Ed Davey and even Caroline Lucas, Britain's own Green MP. If these people are the guardians of our freedoms in this fight, then I'm full square behind them, and I don't mind admitting it. And for those of you yesterday who were giving me a hard time for being critical of the Prime Minister, saying, oh, who else are we going to get? He's the best Prime Minister we've got. Well, no, that's not the point. You don't have to completely and utterly hate somebody in order to disagree with them. You don't have to say that just because I want to see the back of Boris Johnson because I don't think he's doing the right thing, that that is in any way me being disloyal to a particular cause. It's about me trying to make something happen and I know that you want it to happen as well. Lord Moylan yesterday said Boris Johnson probably wants the leader of the opposition to vote against the vaccine passports. The question is, will he? We'll be asking Labour's Brendan Chilton this morning. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be joined by TV presenter and historian Neil Oliver on the state of play. Will he, like me, be encouraged by the noises we are hearing about resistance to the latest government plans and freedom? And we'll be talking to Professor Carol Sikora because it's World Health Day. He wants the people to focus more on non-COVID-related health concerns. I'm also going to be asking him why there's so much white noise being created around the AstraZeneca vaccine. 0344 499 1000. Angela Levin is here too with a report on the fallout from Piers Morgan's big interview on Fox Nation in America and the news that Hazza, the prince formerly known as Herbert, will be fronting his first Netflix documentary about the Invictus Games. And as if that's not enough, we're talking dogs. Are they really right or left poured? And dating apps for feminists where only women can approach men and men can't approach women. Dating expert Nadia Essex will talk to us about that. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, let us start very firmly this morning with a man uh, not frightened of giving us his views and not only uh, his views on uh, Brexit, but also his views on the Labour Party and also his views this morning very much on the whole idea of vaccine passports. Brendan, a very good morning to you. 
Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I was uh, I was taken by a tweet you put out a little while ago, um, a couple of days ago, in fact, about vaccine passports. You're very much full square against them. I'm hoping that I can rely on you, Brendan, to start putting the needle uh, and leaning on uh, your uh, opposition leader, Sir Keir Starmer, to do exactly the same. Well, it would be absolutely bonkers for the Labour Party to support uh, COVID passports, uh, not only because they're wholly impractical uh, to implement, but also it's such an attack on business. Mm. Uh, we've had a whole year of pubs and restaurants and cafes and all these other venues being shut. We don't want to delay people getting into these restaurants and bars, spending their money because they've got to queue up while some official uh, checks whether they've had a vaccine. We want to get them in there, spending their money and supporting our local businesses. Exactly right. But I mean, there are those uh, in the Labour Party who are not entirely certain of which way they're going to go here, because obviously what's important uh, in order for us to win this victory is that Keir Starmer whips the Labour um, parliamentary group to vote against rather than just to abstain. What do you think the chances are of that happening? Well, Keir Starmer has said he thinks that COVID passports are un-British. I mm. think that was the last intervention uh, he made uh, on this. And so I think he should now put his money where his mouth is and should whip Labour MPs to vote against these attacks on business, because that's what these new COVID passports are. Um, we haven't got time to be sitting there fanning around, uh, checking whether people have had a jab or not. If the vaccines work, great. Everyone's got them. The success of the rollout's been brilliant. Everyone's queued up. I've had my first one. I don't know if you've had yours. We don't then need a little bit of, you know, papers, please, to tell us uh, whether or not we've had it. Let's just get people back to business. Exactly right. And also, what's beginning to be explored now is exactly what a vaccine passport actually is, because some people, clearly, who don't think it's a big deal, and who think they shouldn't really be that bothered about somebody having a piece of paper on them, is that it's not that piece of paper. I was listening to Big Brother Watch on uh, Julie Hartley Brewer's show this morning. And they were saying, look, this is basically a biometric uh, identity card, which not only covers you for whatever vaccines you may have had, but will, will potentially c contain all of your personal information, all of your health information on a plastic card that you have to present to somebody in order to gain entry to a shop, uh, to, an, to an airport, you know, to all sorts of different places. Exactly. It is a massive attack on our civil liberties and on our freedoms. Having an ID card is the most un-British thing you can ever imagine. Yeah. I remember when Blair uh, tried to introduce them when he was prime minister uh, and didn't even get it through the Commons right. because at the time you had such a rebellious uh, Labour Party in Parliament and the Conservatives were against it. How things have flipped. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, also remember, gonna... I also remember Boris Johnson saying that if he was asked to produce an you know, ID card, he would eat it before whoever it was that was asking him to produce it. <laughs> You know, so well, I don't know what's happened to well, him. He's obviously eaten, the, he's drunk the Kool-Aid since then. Well, quite right. He's uh, something very strange has happened to him since he's uh, won his majority. But we must oppose this, Mike, because otherwise, where does it end? And on the general principle of a, a vaccination passport, when I go abroad, well, not obviously not at the moment, but when we go abroad to Africa, Southeast Asia, parts of the world where they've got infectious diseases, you're not required to have a a vaccination passport when you go there you know if you go to asia you need the yellow fever jab if you go to africa it's the malaria jab they don't check you at the border that you've had the vaccination when you come back so why are we saying to people oh if someone living in clapham wants to go up the east end one night for a pint they've got to have a passport i mean it's absolutely ridiculous it really is and and out of all proportion to what it is 
that the, the government actually can even do. Because if you remember, Brendan, when they tried to enter, introduce test and trace, I mean, that was a complete shambles, not least because it's quite difficult to kind of suddenly produce an app that works well and works efficiently uh, within a, a, a period of months. I mean, some people are now telling me who know about techni technical issues, it would take at least two, maybe four years to get an app that actually worked properly in this area. So it's a bit of pie in the sky. This is why I detect that somehow, after a lot of shouting and, and groaning that I did yesterday, there is a, a move by the government away from this. Well, I sincerely hope so, because as, as I've said, it is nothing more than an attack on business. We've seen the problems with test and trace. And not only that, if you are going to have some form of biometric card, there is a massive opportunity there, as I understand from various articles I've read, for fraud. Um, they can easily apparently be duplicated and copied. And all it's going to do is create another whole mountain of work for our already under pressure police force yes. uh, that are happening to enforce these ridiculous laws at the moment. So absolutely no to... Uh, vaccine passports, Mike, and I think Talk Radio is doing a brilliant job. You are the new uh, opposition. Uh, well, we are. I mean, I like that. I, I like that a lot. We are the new opposition because, you know, I don't particularly want to be the opposition to the government. I don't particularly want to be people's, uh, uh, you know, champions standing here telling uh, the Tory party they're out of touch, but they really are seriously out of touch. They don't, I mean, I was just saying to Julie Hartley Brewer, you know, the feeling of euphoria uh, that kicked in as I walked past a pub round the corner from here, as I watched two men unload some beer barrels and roll them into the pub. It was ridiculously kind of uh, surprising to me that I was just suddenly going, yes, let's go, <laughs> you know. And I mean, this is what the government's done to me. You know, I'm not an alcoholic. I just want to get out there, meet some people I haven't seen for a long time, um, you know, who aren't members of my family, and actually talk to them. Quite right. I mean, I'm not an alcoholic neither. It's merely medicinal. But I, too, when I know I can go to the pub <laughs> next week and see my friends who I've not seen in person for nearly a year. Yeah. Um, and in the nice weather, too. You know, why are the government being you know, bureaucratic moaning minis and saying, oh, you know, no more fun for people? Frankly, I think SAGE... Yes, some decisions they call right. But this talk now of a third wave, if we open up, they just want us to live in perpetual misery. Uh, staying at home, not going out, not doing anything. Well, tell you what, up yours to them. Absolutely not. And if they do introduce these vaccine passports, I personally will be boycotting any venue that enforces it. I won't have the passport and this twice weekly testing thing, well then go stuff themselves, I've got better things to do. Well said and I will absolutely join you in that in that crusade and so will many, many other people and I know plenty of people in hospitality as I'm sure you do Brendan in your neck of the woods who are not ever going to allow this to be something that they will do and also let's talk about this mass testing nonsense as well which is another absolute shibboleth it seems to me. Why on earth would I test myself for a for a disease against which I've been vaccinated, which I don't feel as though I have because I feel perfectly well. I don't have any symptoms. I don't have it. Why am I sticking something up my nose to see whether I've got it or not? 100% Mike I mean if the vaccines work which we're told they are I've had my first jab I've got my next one in June the yeah. first one did not be for six but I'm still going to have the the second one right why do we then need to test uh, if they're effective, if they can stop the virus, we don't need mass testing. It's a huge waste of money mm. uh, and time as well. And I just say to businesses as well, they've had a year of being shut down. How is this practically going to be enforced? Are they going to have some you know, COVID marshal on the door checking people as they come in? This is a cost to business. It's a faffing around on time. Yeah. And I think it's going to put people off going back to normal. Uh, because you think if you go to a restaurant or a pub or whatever, and there's one almighty queue 
uh, outside, you're going to think, well, sod this. I'm right. going to go and buy a crate and go home. Exactly. And that's going to be uh, terribly detrimental. And interestingly enough, also around all of this, you know, we had Lord Moylan, Lord, Lord Moylan on the show yesterday, and he obviously is a Tory peer, but he said that he thinks Boris Johnson secretly wants Sir Keir Starmer to actually vote against this thing when it comes up before Parliament, uh, because he says Sage needs to be kind of shuffled off to the side, and Boris has to take a view that he doesn't listen to everything they say, because there's a piece uh, that I was reading yesterday, last night, um, which in which uh, an epidemiologist from King's College says that these sage advisers are now basically doing their level best to produce the most pessimistic assumptions to arrive at a nightmare scenario. And he explains how this modelling business works, whereby if you put the worst information you can think of into a scenario and ask what the outcome is going to be, of course it's going to be bad. So if you put into a model, well, you know, if there's a, a, a new variant that is uh, resistant to the jab, therefore more people will get it, therefore more people will go into hospital. That's where they get the 16,000 dead figure from. It's just made up. It is 100%. And let's remember, these are people who are on full pay uh, and comfortably at home uh, when a lot of businesses are on 80% pay uh, and struggling. And they predicted there would be a Christmas spike when uh, we lifted over the Christmas period. There wasn't. They predicted that there would be a huge spike when the schools reopened. There hasn't Mm. been. And they're now predicting once again the worst case scenario. These are people who live, love and enjoy fear and misery. And we've got to beat them. So Keir Starmer, if you're listening, which I'm absolutely sure you are, whip Labour MPs to go through that lobby and vote against this draconian and expensive measure. We can't allow it to happen. And as far as the actual vote itself is concerned, there was a view yesterday that actually if he wanted to do it, Boris Johnson could do this without going to Parliament for a vote because he could invoke, uh, you know, the emergency powers under the Health Act that they've already got to increase coronavirus lockdown. However, I think that would be a massive political error if he was to do that, because I think Boris is beginning to work out that the public appetite for this is not what he thinks it is. I totally agree. And I think we need a huge parliamentary rejection of these measures. He can also do it via an ordering council. Uh, The British people have had a lot of stuff to put up with this year. They've not been allowed to see their families. They've not been allowed to see their friends. Go on holiday. Enjoy normal things. like As you say, Mm. sitting on a park bench with a cup of coffee with your mate without the Stasi leaning over your shoulder, telling you you're breaking the law. The British people don't want or need these COVID passports. They've never liked the idea of carrying around a little card. You know, we all do the joke, papers, please, uh, going back right. to that period in our history. We don't want it. We don't need it. Boris, grow a bloody backbone. Reject this measure. Keir Starmer, for once, I'm telling you to vote with the Tories. Uh, vote to reject this measure. Absolutely right. Very well said. Now, I'm happy to report as well, Brendan, that there's an equal opportunity show this, because as much as we uh, made fun of uh, Boris Johnson, his £2.6 million uh, <laughs> briefing room, uh, which apparently somebody actually put a thing out last night. It was brilliant. Uh, some uh, uh, director, film director, because he's got a big blue screen behind him, you can literally project anything onto it you like. It's like having a green screen. So they projected <laughs> this huge head speaking from a movie. Very funny. But also, of course, he's redoing Downing Street, as every prime minister seems to want to do. But I'm told that Len McCluskey is now under uh, under sort of a bit of a cloud because it turns out that a hotel and conference centre that he was estimated to be building for seven million quid because it would save a lot of money for holding conferences and, and they could put the Labour Party conference there every year, has ballooned up to 98 million. I mean, that's some going, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's almost as great as EU procurement processes, <laughs> isn't it? The costs go through the roof. Um, I think this is really uh, requiring an investigation, yeah. actually, uh, because 
unions uh, put aside whether you agree with their political activity unions get their money from ordinary day-to-day people Mm. doctors nurses teachers road sweepers through their subs and the union should not be playing around with ordinary members money in this way okay i understand the need for an organization to invest here and there to make a bit of extra money but when something goes I don't know what the percentage increase is here. It must be at least two hundred percent increase. Well, no, two hundred percent. No, two hundred percent increase would make it coming in at twenty-eight million. That's how big. Oh, it no, is. Oh no, well, <laughs> well, it just shows how bad my maths is, does it? It well, does. Thank God, you, thank God, you're not in charge of the Unite coffers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite even worse if I was. <laughs> but um, it needs investigating. These are ordinary people's subs and monies, and they deserve to know where it's been spent, why these costs have spiralled, and what happened. And when, and I think some Labour MPs have been calling for an investigation into this. So Unite really should commission some sort of inquiry into what's gone wrong here, because at the end of the day, a union is meant to be there to serve its members, not its leadership. And if the union wants to serve its members, they should investigate how this has gone so badly wrong. And I mean, it is a big issue, isn't it, in this country? Because whenever there's a big sort of um, project that seems to be... It was the same with the Scottish Parliament. You know, that was 10 times over budget. It was started at about 40 million, ended up costing 400 million, and they didn't even get the right size windows when they finally arrived to get put in. They had to send them all back because they'd been wrongly measured. There seems to be a real issue in this country with doing what I call big capital projects, whether they're private or public. They don't, nobody seems to know. It, it seems to be that people put in an estimate and go, I'll tell you what, it's like a guy that comes around to your house and goes, look, I could build you a conservatory for five quid. And you go, brilliant, <laughs> excellent. Right, come around, here's the fiver. And then by the time he's finished it, it's actually cost you 500,000. But he was cheaper than the other estimates that you got, so you went with it. <laughs> it does seem, Mike, you're absolutely right. Whenever we undertake any big project in this country, in the case of Unite, where it's building a hotel, in the case of the government, where it's a high-speed two rail line, or a Scottish Parliament building, we're bloody useless at it. Every time the costs spiral, uh, there are delays, and we, we're just falling behind. You know, I think in some countries in the world, they make a decision on if they want to build something, invest in something, boom, it's done. In Germany, they want to build a new road, done. Over here, we spend years in planning, years in right. inquiries, and by the time we get round to it, costs have gone through the roof. I think post-COVID, post-Brexit, if we're going to make a success of this country, we need to let the dogs off the leash. We've just got to start making quick decisions, get quick investment and get good, reliable products built, good, reliable products made and get this country moving. Because otherwise, we're just going to continue to decline. And then we can have the passports because we won't be able to go anywhere or do anything anyway because we're clapped out. So let's get a bit of energy back in the tank of... uh, Britain PLC. Absolutely get this right. Country moving. Listen, there's people saying, saying, are you sure this bloke's with the Labour Party? I mean, people are going, Brendan Chilton's making an awful lot of sense for someone from the Labour Party. But this is the point. There are sensible people in the Labour Party. But you let me let me finish up with Hartlepool, Brendan, because you wrote a piece a little while ago saying the necessity for Labour to win Hartlepool has never been more uh, than it is now. And what we need to do is find the right candidate. Now, it doesn't seem to me as if they've done that. There's a poll this week in which it suggests that the Tories are going to win Hartlepool from Labour. And that's going to be a huge blow for Starmer, isn't it? If we lose Hartlepool, it will be a disaster. Um, I know we lost a lot of Red Bull seats in the general election just gone, but we are now a year into a global pandemic, the worst recession. I've said this so many times before. We should not be even in a position where we're going, oh, dear, are we going to win Hartlepool? We should be going Hartlepool in the bag, sorted Labour seat. Um, This is because I think the Labour Party for too long has been far too focused on its university towns, what its membership wants and the sort of cosy, comfortable ideas that the Labour Party likes to talk about, social care, NHS, etc. Frankly, 
Hartlepool should not even be in doubt. The Labour Party, if we lose Hartlepool, has got to have one hell of a review as to why we've lost it and what's gone wrong. And I tell you what, I'll do it for them for free. Yeah. It's because we've become too focused on elitist issues uh, such as identity politics and to an extent the climate argument instead of issues that matter to working class communities, law and order, the economy, immigration, decent housing and decent jobs. If we do that, as I've said many times, we'll walk it. But frankly, we've got a membership that's too obsessed uh, with these other issues to allow the party to change. And I hope Keir Starmer will take cognizance of what these polls are saying and really push the Labour Party in the direction it needs to yeah. go in. And this is where he has an opportunity, I think, you know, to go back to the beginning and vaccine passports. You know, if he was to order um, a vote against the government, so some proper opposition to something which would be a very popular cause for him to be backing in terms of the businesses, I bet you in terms of the people that live up in the northeast of England, the Red Wall seats as well, where he'd be seen to be making it easier for them to live their lives as opposed to more difficult. He's got a victory on his hands and he could do with one of those, couldn't he? Absolutely. I, I think in the northeast, particularly, we, we know a lot of the businesses up and down the country have suffered. But in the northeast, of course, they've suffered a whole lot more because the infrastructure up there is weaker, transport's weaker, etc. If he come out this week and said, you know what, Boris, we're going to have a vote on this and Labour, I'm going to whip Labour MPs to vote against these Covid passports. I bet those polls would narrow in the northeast and I bet Hartlepool will be back in contention for Labour once again. Yeah, uh, think, That's my guess anyway. I think you're absolutely right, Brendan. Great to talk to you as ever. Great to see so energetic a man uh, this early in the morning. I know for a lot of you it's not that early, but it's quite early for me. You know, this is 10 o'clock in the morning we kick off, so I'm not one of those that gets up like Julie Hartley Brewer with the larks before dawn, for heaven's sake. I couldn't do that. Absolutely no way. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Time now to talk to the Taxpayers Alliance because uh, not only will we be talking about Len McCluskey earlier uh, and his rather incredible overspend, it goes from £7 million to £98 million. Brendan Chilton, uh, thank goodness, is not my accountant. He thought that was about a 200% increase. But no, uh, if you multiply that by 10, uh, that would be a 1,000% increase. And in fact, that means uh, that it's only uh, £70 million when it actually went to £98 million. So it's more than a 1,000. It's more like 15... Um, it, it's more like a 1,000%. It's more like 1,500% of an increase for Len McCluskey in the Unite Union, who built a hotel and conference centre. We're now going to talk to Harry Fone, uh, who's from the Grassroots Campaign uh, Management at Tax. Taxpayers Alliance, because a story has arisen that the Town Hall Rich List uh, has got 2,802 staff receiving over £100,000 a year, despite the fact uh, that people have had to pay more, much more, for their council tax this year. Harry, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you very much for, for joining us. Now, obviously, it's a difficult time to be running a local council because, of course, things have become so expensive to do. I'm not quite sure whether there's any truth to that statement, because people are paying now, I think in effect, I think the average, did I see the average council tax is now over 2,000 a year? Um, not quite. It's, it's, so it's across England, it's £1,900 for a bandee bill. But you're quite right to say that um, over a third of English councils are now charging more than £2,000 uh, for a council tax bill. And, and if this trend continues next year, that could be two thirds of, of English councils. Mm. Um, and, you know, the point you make about, you know, has running a council got more expensive? I mean, when you look at, um, you know, inflation figures and wage growth over the last 10 years, we've seen very, very low inflation. Wage growth has only started picking up in the last few years. Of course, probably the effects of COVID are going to stifle that somewhat. But, you know, people are paying huge amounts in council tax every month they are not in many cases and we get emails all the time saying we are not getting the services we deserve yet they're seeing these senior council officials you mentioned the 2800 of them taking home 
uh, remuneration of more than £100,000, £693,000 on more than £150,000. Um, and they're quite rightly questioning why are we having to see our council tax yeah. go up. And by these, and by these are technically civil servants, I suppose, right? These are not elected individuals because elected councillors don't really get very much money at all for being elected councillors. But these are the kind of administrators, if you like, uh, and some of whom are getting over 500000 a year. I remember, I think I've said this to you before when we've spoken about this, when I was working up in Edinburgh, and the, the argument for paying the chief administrator of Edinburgh City Council a load of money was that they basically should be commensurate with what they would have got in the private sector. But many of these people are not in any way qualified for the private sector because all they've ever done is worked in a council. Well, as we often say, I, I've never really seen any of them go and work for a FTSE 100 no. company or anything uh, like that. Uh, I mean, there may well be an argument that they're worthy of these salaries. If it were the case that they were keeping council tax low, they were eradicating wasteful spending. You know, they were ramping up efficiency. People were getting the best services possible. I probably wouldn't have an argument with it. But that simply isn't happening. I mean, you mentioned an example there. There was someone in Coventry. Um, they had a lot of office compensation payment of £395,000. So that took their total remuneration, so including salary uh, expenses, that sort of thing, to £573,000. In that same time in Coventry, council tax, he, he, this uh, person was there for about four years mm. in that chief executive job. The same time in Coventry, council tax went up by £300 for people in a band uh, bill. So, you know, I, I can absolutely understand why people feel aggrieved by council tax. It's a, it's a pretty unfair tax. It's not based on the ability to pay. And um, we did some polling on this. 60%, almost 60% of people said that uh, councils should be freezing or cutting these salaries for Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. And given that we're now having conversations about the kind of the repopulating or otherwise of office buildings in cities in this country, in private companies, is there any conversation going on inside of councils about what they could be doing perhaps to leave, um, uh, to, to, to lessen the burden of, of rent paying that they that they pay uh, or vacating perhaps more buildings? Because I'm sure an awful lot of people working for the council are currently not working in office. Yeah, this does seem to be the case, you know, this working from home revolution. Uh, funnily enough, I wrote about Slough Council the other day that spent millions on a uh, an office restoration that looks like something you'd see in sort of Silicon Valley rather than... Uh, <laughs> it is amazing, isn't it? Because they seem to think that it's it's I mean, rather like the way the government says, oh, don't worry, these tests will be free uh, when you take the two COVID tests a week. No, they won't be free. We'll be paying for them. The taxpayer's paying for all of this. Uh, exactly. And that's it. This is It's not their money. It's our money. It's taxpayers' money. Right. Um, th there are some things that are happening on the, on the savings front, though. Councillors have been conducting a lot of their full council meetings via Zoom and, you know, Windows Teams and all mm. that sort of stuff. Um, I, I, there was an example in West Sussex or East Sussex, I forget now, but uh, they uh, were making something like £6,000 a month in travel expenses savings. Right. So well, that's there's an issue, exactly there's an issue around, you know, do you get the full transparency and all that sort of thing? But I think if you gave taxpayers the option, well, we, we can save you £72,000 a year. And that's just in one council. So yeah. if you multiply that out across multiple multiple councils, there, there are huge savings to be made. But but when we've seen council tax go up by 111 percent in cash terms in England in the last 20 years, councils have to be absolutely ruthless at trying to make these savings because it, we just cannot go on like this you know the average council tax rise was 4.4 percent this year right wage wages haven't grown that much inflation's about 0.4 percent this 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 system just cannot go on exactly and right. count yeah and for, you, I was going to say, and for people in the higher end, you know, who are just about sort of um, managing to pay what the council tax is, I mean, that's a big increase. If you're already paying upwards of, you know, £1,500 a year to go up another 4% is a big increase. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it comes back to that point that it, 
we do get these. We, I'm never short of material from councils wasting money. Um, mm. I, I, I write a blog for the TPA and, and other websites about this. And, and this is what angers people. You're paying huge amounts of money. You know, as we keep saying, it's these £2,000 bills, over a third of English councils now. I, it could well be um, over two thirds next year if we see similar rates this time. And, you know, the, the roads are still potholed. Mm. People aren't getting the frontline services they deserve. And then they see these huge pay packets being given to senior staff. I mean, take um, Liverpool Council, for example. I think they had something like uh, 14 staff uh, getting over £100,000, despite the absolute shambles, quite frankly, that we've seen there recently. Yeah. And now uh, Liverpool has the highest council tax in the northwest. I know. Quite extraordinary stuff. We'll keep an eye on it, Harry. We'll come back to you as well uh, soon and uh, in the future, because it's all very well saying, oh, we're making savings by not actually going to meetings. I'd like to see that done uh, in black and white on paper to see whether it's actually being saved or whether they're spending it somewhere else, because we've seen already in Parliament, for example, uh, that MPs' expenses don't appear to have gone down particularly, even though most of them are not actually even going there for most of the, 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 the year. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Well, I feel quite good after that. Let's talk to Neil Oliver. Hello, Neil. Hello, Michael. It's always good to see you every week. It gives me hope to know you're still there. <laughs> well, I there. know. I know. I'm still here. They haven't, they haven't dragged me. When you see the, the crooks sort of pulling my head away to the side, you'll know that they finally yeah. got into the building. But, uh, but listen, uh, freedom is the only thing to talk about today, I think, Neil. Um, you're a man uh, that knows a thing or two about it. I dare say, and I've never asked you this question, but you've probably been to many countries where freedom um, is not taken for granted, where freedom is not something that people expect to have and 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 when you live in a country where you're not allowed to have freedom you really probably treasure it much more than some of the people in this country who don't seem to care too much about it being taken away uh, yes it's, it's a, a couple of years ago now but i, I filmed in china mm. uh, I, was, I was in china for a month or so and I, I, it was my first time i'd never been anywhere near china before right. um and it was such an eye-opener uh, the extent to which people were uh, tracked at every move that they made it was all it was all basically on us on a single app on on everyone's uh, mobile phone uh, and you couldn't buy a you couldn't buy a train ticket get on a bus ticket you couldn't uh, you couldn't do anything but the but the app tracked what you were doing so that hypothetically at any given moment if the state wanted to know where a person was they could see that they were on whatever they were on the train from here to there and they had recently been to a, a shop and they had bought this kind of sandwich that kind of drink and right. it had cost them this much and it was it was a real it was a real eye opener wow. the, the extent to which people that, had and, just accepted it. And was that because everything they did was done through the app, and everywhere they went, they were kind of logged, as it were. Yeah, yeah, everything you know, booking. You know, you would say to uh, we, we had fixers, and we would say, how about if we you know went for such and such food tonight? Mm. And they would you know they would do it all straight away on this app on their phone. They would pre-book, uh, but it, but it meant that the venue and indeed the state knew that we, <laughs> where we were going that. Yeah where we were going that evening. And it was amazing as well. When you sat around a table in a restaurant, we didn't notice it the first couple of times because the, the fixers would, at the end of the meal, we would, you know, you, the fixers pay because it, it's just easier because right. they can speak the language and so on. And we realised that, in, in fact, what was happening was that the, the fixers were just walking out with us at the same time. Mm. And there, there didn't seem to be any transaction actually taking place. And then the fixer said, no, no, the, the, the restaurant, in fact, the table the, the, there was a code on the table and it knew what we had ordered and right. it had already deducted the fee from the from our fixer's mobile phone without yeah. her actually doing anything. Wow. And the whole, the, the, the surveillance uh, was truly, truly eye-opening. And mm. we were dealing with a lot of, the, the whole point of the documentary was really, to, we were talking to Scottish people who, who were living and working in China. Right. 
and we were talking to them about what it was like, you know, in the in the emergent, you know, thriving economy of, of China, uh, and they had all well, there was no there was no dodging it. Mm. They were all operating in the same way, uh, and and had just internalized, I suppose, the fact that everything they were doing, every transaction. Everywhere they went, every meal they had was all logged. Yeah, and and anyone that was presumably had that kind of clearance could could check up on them if they wished. Yes, uh, and it was so that would be the most obvious. But I suppose uh, the, thing, the, the thing about that is 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 fascinating to hear how that works, and and it's actually not that far from what we do in terms of if somebody. The difference, I suppose, is nobody's perhaps following everybody around and and watching what it is that you're spending your money on. But an awful lot of people now use their phones to buy everything you know they've got apple yeah. pay or whatever it is and and you know they're buying all the things that they, they buy at the shops so everybody knows where that where that's all going but i guess if you're in a place like china and you're working and you're visiting it's not the same as when it's happening to you in your own home no it, as recently as i say as a couple of years ago it was just an eye-opening novelty and we were a, a, a British crew and we were just sort of gossiping about it every evening about how isn't that amazing that, yeah. they, that this is how it works here uh, and never for a, never for a moment did I think, but but yes, the fact is, uh, I suppose because we increasingly work in these cashless times, and everyone does everything with a card, and your passport with the biometric information on it as you as you come back back in and out of the country and go into other countries, you're, you're not really paying attention to what's being what what's being logged and, yes. and what movements are there. And I suppose you're always you're always uh, assuming assuming that it's a benign. Uh, government that's in charge of this information but of course at any point if it if you cross a line into a less than benign uh, government then you're in then you're potentially in a you then it's a whole new it's a whole new ball game and and this this thing this nudging for the whatever they call it the vaccine passport is is a sinister thing because you know it's I, I dare say at the moment they, they might back off around pubs and, and restaurants or whatever, but but at the same time there will probably be a certification of some sort needed to, to attend a big event, and then uh, there'll be something. You but I don't really see why that has to be the case because as much as you know you could say that will make everybody feel safer. I mean that's partly a result of the the indoctrination that we've all been suffering from for a year because actually there's no reason to say uh, that just because somebody's had a covid vaccine or a negative test that you're any safer than if they haven't because you know, there's nothing to prove that the person who's negative isn't actually negative the person might be positive but they might not have uh, uh, any symptoms or they might not have shown up as a positive you know there's any number of things that they could also be as i said yesterday you know you could be in a pub thinking oh it's great because everybody's covid safe but unfortunately the guy next to me uh, has just come out of prison for hitting somebody over the head with an iron bar and there's no uh, there's no proof that he's not going to do that to me yes that's a, that, a... The, the the gaps in it the the inconsistencies within it and the and the, and the potential for it to become just a a, a colander uh, you know through which anything could could come and go really because the, the only preoccupation for for 12 months has been covid-19 mm. uh, and that as though that's the only thing that's out there my 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 feeling about it all is really it's it's broader than that and, and i suppose much more personal even when when we were out and about in the you know last year the you know the eat out to help out and all of that and we pitched back into restaurants and stuff and sat in beer gardens yeah. and whatever but my my feeling was because the the waiting staff were masked and everyone was the whole every every move anyone made was followed by somebody with a bottle of bleach and a, right. and a cloth <laughs> 
and uh, and we I, and if you wanted to go to to the loo inside, you had to put a mask on. So now I just I just didn't like it. No. And if the if the future if the if the future is one in which uh, hospitality venues are open, but you have to operate like that with masks and social distancing, um, I just won't go. And it's not it's got nothing to do with the with the virus. I've I've never really I've never been any more worried about COVID nineteen than I would be about seasonal flu. Mm. I've just I've just regarded it as, as being a risk on on a similar uh, level, uh, but I I just won't go to places. Uh, I can't th- stand the thought of being in a cinema, for example, where everyone around me is masked, no. or or going to a comedy club or a theatre. You know, going to a, a, you know a, a big show, and everyone masked and, mm. and all of that. I, I'll vote with my feet and my wallet, and I just won't I just won't go. I can no. I can sit at home and drink a bottle of wine, or I can. I can, you know, I'll invest in a big screen TV so that I can watch movies on a big screen rather yeah. than go to the cinema. That's that's just the way I'll operate because I, for me, going out, I don't, I don't, I go out for a meal and, and to drink a bottle of wine with friends yeah. because of everything else. And if the whole thing for me is polluted by the by the idea of everyone being masked and with these plastic visors on, that ruins the experience for me. Yeah. Just full stop and yes, I, I, I get I, that. I'll find myself withdrawing yeah no I get that but would you then on the other hand say okay well if you want to have the experience as it was which means that the uh, the waiters uh, and the waitresses are all unmasked they're walking around as normal um, but you have to prove to them that you've had a coronavirus vaccine or that you're uh, in some way negative but you can then go and have that experience would you then do that no I wouldn't either. No. See, I don't no, think I it's a binary I choice. I, I don't I see. Won't. I don't see why we have to make that choice. Uh, no, I, I agree, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't do. I wouldn't uh, operate in a world of 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 passport. I can. I, I have. I've over the years. I've obviously. I've. I've been wanting to go to countries, and I've needed to take certain vaccines in order to be allowed to go. And, and to some, I have carried vaccine passports around with me in my you know, my pocket to yeah. go to certain places. And I could. I could see that in the future, but not to not to operate in my own country. No. I won't do that. I, no. I absolutely categorically refuse to get involved in, in that kind of operation. I yeah. just won't do that. My sense is that uh, the government and Boris Johnson know that they can't really make this work terribly well. Um, if they were to make it work in one small area, it would be kind of piecemeal. The fact that they're picking out, say, the crucible in Sheffield. I mean, as I said to somebody during the week, it's bad enough watching snooker without having to sit there with a mask on and prove that you haven't had a disease before you go in. You know, uh, to go to a concert, as you say, um, they haven't actually said what it would be like inside the said concert if you are all supposedly COVID safe. They haven't said that that will require you then to remove your mask. You know, it's all very piecemeal to me, it seems. They haven't really put any thought into it. They haven't really worked out how you're going to prove to uh, whoever it is that you're showing your COVID certificate to that it's genuine. I mean, there are so many pitfalls. I just I just think they're going to it's going to be another one of these government suggestions that ends up being forgotten about um, and being kind of, you know, just shoved under the under the rug some point down the road. Well, you don't want it forgotten about it. You want it stamped on. Yeah. You, you want it declared uh, openly that this is not going to happen, mm. because if there, if there is a situation, as I said before, where they, where they maybe say, right, not not pubs and restaurants but but big like whatever a, a big venue yeah if they if they well, get a finger in the for door example. i mean why yeah, football fo- whatever but if they get a fi- if there's a finger in the door where this where people begin to accept that there are passports for certain things mm. then once there's a finger in the door then it's easier to get a foot in the door and then it's an elbow in the door yeah and it means that your relationship with the government becomes akin to some kind of uh, abusive relationship where you're having to keep an eye out on what uh, what they're going to try and get away with next yeah. 
that's not a healthy state of affairs. You know, the, a, a government is supposed to exist in our world uh, to preserve our freedoms and to and to enable us to go about our business unmolested. Yeah. And if, if instead the government becomes the, 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 the body that you've got to watch for fear that if you take your eye off them for a minute, they're going to pull a fast one. Yeah. You know that's a that's a very unhealthy state of state of affairs, and and it's and, and as, as I say that the broader concern for me is the way in which so many people, and I'm not one of them, but so many people have have obviously absorbed the idea that our fellow human beings are dirty, they're disease vectors, yes. and if it's COVID nineteen this week, it, in the years ahead, it, it could be and surely will be there will be other viruses and other things to worry about. And if, if we get the idea that our fellow men and women and children are just petri dishes swimming with mm. contagion and that we have to distance, wash hands, wear masks, keep away, don't go indoors, keep the windows open, then that has a corrosive effect on every aspect of your relationship with your fellow human beings and with society as a whole, our relationships as a species will be compromised and altered 100%. And, and, and if that, hypothetically, if that went ahead, the government would have to face up to the idea that there might have to be a completely different social contract. Right. You know, we all, we all pay our taxes uh, to have a certain uh, society maintained and made open to us. The analogy I would make is, you know, if, if you had a restaurant that previously had a standing charge and for which, for that charge, you were able to partake of a, of a seven uh, course meal and you paid that standing charge, if from one day to the next they say that it's still the same money, but you can only have cheese and biscuits, you just wouldn't accept no. that you had to pay the same amount to get such a diminished and lesser offering. Mm. And if we go into some kind of future where society is lessened, our relationships with one another are diminished, we can't really rely on sending our kids to school freely and without masks. We can't really, you know, go to the gym, go to the swimming pool, go to other council-funded uh, facilities. Uh, that you know, the, the 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 NHS becomes a becomes something that is solely preoccupied with with whatever virus mm. is the one deemed the most scary that week, and you can't get normal treatment. You know, to what extent would it be justified for the government to maintain? Uh, the, the the system of charging for what we've had in the past. Right. Well, this is the uh, thing. I mean, you know, we, we we've we've almost fallen into this trap as well, whereby people are going, uh, "What am I allowed to do now? You know, what what can I do tomorrow? What, what what will I be able to do next week? You know, we pay these people; they work for us. People seem to have forgotten that. You know, Boris Johnson works for me. I don't work for him. Uh, Matt Hancock works for me. Nicholas Sturgeon works for you. You know, these people are paid by us to do a job. They don't have any money. All the money they have is our money. And when they spend it, it's our permission that we give them to spend it. And so I think we need to get that back. I think we need to forget about this kind of compliance and this kind of uh, simpering kind of um, surrender to anything that they want us to do. I say we start yeah. saying, get stuffed. No, absolutely. I, you know, you and me, I'm, I'm private sector. I mean, I, you know, I, I whatever, I do what I do, and I, you know, I, I earn the sort of money that the treasury then taxes that pays for the public sector, as do, as do you. And I, I always figure that that we're on the we're on the profit side of the balance sheet for the country. The politicians are are overhead. You know, we're profit and they are overhead. Yes. And if, you know, hypothetically, you might have to get into a situation where your relationship with, with society is a bit like your mobile phone. Mm. You know, you can either have a contract or you can pay as you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for some people, it just wouldn't be worth having the contract. 
you know, because your your the offering would be so limited in terms of the education available to your children at university. You know, why would you why would you pay nine thousand pounds in England and Wales, uh, you know, for your for your tuition with with accommodation and everything else on top of it, when what you're actually getting in reality potentially is an online offering? Yeah, right. You just wouldn't. Why would you do that? And likewise. If you're if you're being offered a diminished society, if everything out there is is of a sort that you might not want to partake of it, then would the government really be justified in continuing to charge us for it? They're already saying that they need to increase taxes to try and recoup some of the money. Well, exactly what are we paying for? You know, if if all we're doing is is paying their wages, yeah, and building and building bigger and bigger empires of public advice from places like Sage, you know where they're coming out with things like this. I've got this right. How, how, you like this one. Um, £50,000 has been awarded to something called the Thriving Communities Project so that the NHS uh, can help people to do some paddle boarding. Now, it seems to me, first of all, that's slightly wrong-headed in as much as if you do paddle boarding, you might fall off the paddle board. Uh, you might need some rescuing from an ambulance, which might have to be diverted from somebody who's got something really bad going on. You know, I don't want to be told to go paddle boarding. I don't want to be told to walk more, to drink less, to eat the right food. That's none of their business at the end of the day. And for them to say to me, oh, yeah, but this is all about preventative medicine. Well, you can get stuffed with that as well, because any number of things can happen to any number of people, no matter how fit and well they are. You know, you yeah. don't you don't you don't save yourself any money on the NHS by being fitter because you might get run over by a bus and you still need to go to hospital. I have always been a my tendencies are always towards smaller government large, yes. rather than larger. And this this year past, like nothing before, has filled me with the desire to say to politicians, get out of my face yes. and get out of my life. Yeah. You know, let get the country opened up, let people get back to work, let people get back to their lives. And would these, would that tiny minority of, of elected representatives get back in their box uh, and start doing what they're supposed to do, which is, you know, cherish and protect our liberties and allow us to have a society rather than in, rather than, why are they flattering themselves with the idea that they should be telling us what's, What's right? What's the healthy way to be? I, I mean, for most of the last decades, the, the emphasis has been about the importance of mental health and the importance of exercise and how important it is to get out and about and, and see people. And, you know, because this is, you know, this is how we have, you know, yeah. healthy, well-balanced Re Reach people. out to your neighbours. And get your and get your cancer screenings and get and yeah. you know check for bowel cancer, check for breast cancer, check for cervical cancer because these are all the things that make us healthy people. And then like that, they just take all of that away. And then they, they have the temerity. You know, they're already yes, as you say, they're already suggesting that they might be the people to advise us about how to get well again. Mm. You know, if you've spent the year being bullied at school. You don't then accept holding hands with the bully who's offered to walk you home so you feel safe from the bullies. <laughs> it's you That's know a very good if, point, if your yeah. house is just if your house has just been burgled and they've made a mess on the way out, you don't bring the burglar in to do the makeover and tidy up. No, you want other people to do all of that. And yet, you know, having had a year where they've told us just stay in your home, shut the doors, don't talk to anyone, don't go anywhere, for God's sake, don't touch anyone. And now, at a moment's notice, they have the temerity, the audacity to start suggesting that they should be giving us advice about our mental health and our general health. And the, 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 the environmental lobby, I mean, where are these, I've tweeted about it this week, where are these gazillions of plastic tests going to end up? I know. 
you know, the ma- I mean, I, mean, I, I walk I, the streets I found, I found and the myself... place is littered with masks. Oh, I and know. Now it's going to be. Where are, where are all these, you know, two tests a week for 67 million people? Where's all that plastic yeah. going to come from? And then where's it going to end up? But this kind of middle class daydreaming goes on all the time. I I've, I've, I've nearly kicked the TV in last night at the end of Channel 4 News. Jon Snow puts up a picture of the, the night sky and starts rambling on about how beautiful it looks because there's no light pollution um, because there's not as many lights on as there were and there's no planes in the sky and the sky is much bluer. And, I'm, and I literally was shouting at the TV. I'm going, that's great. There's loads of people without any jobs. There's loads of people who can't go anywhere to see their family. People are dying because they haven't got any health care uh, in parts of the world because nobody can get it to them. Well done, John. At least it looks nice up in the sky. What a complete plank. Well, yes. I mean, the, the, trying to trying to make trying to make a virtue, trying to make something photogenic and appealing out of the you know they create a devastation and call it peace right. <laughs> was the you know was the was the great speech and uh, you know um, uh, you know thousands of years ago by the by the by the last Scot against the Romans you know they create a devastation and yeah. call it peace. Well, it, it, this this attempt to spin everything so that we should be grateful. I've, I've speculated for a long time how long it was going to take them to segue. From COVID into into the into the uh, the environmental lobby, yeah. you know, having having got everyone out of their cars because you can't go anywhere, and having got having got all of the planes out of the sky, and all, I I thought I wonder how quickly they'll say let's lock down for the environment mm. rather than lock down for well, COVID. But pre- in, this, in the next breath, in the next breath, they say right, you know, here's here's billions of plastic tests that you can just use once and throw in the bin. Mm. You know, where's the, where's the environmental lobby when that starts to come off? Well, as you might expect, they're all very hypocritical. But I'm glad to see that we're both still pretty angry about it, Neil. That's important. I think it's very important. We're going to stay angry until we fix this situation. Um, very good to talk to you. As ever, we're out of time, unfortunately. Neil Oliver, archaeologist, TV presenter. He's back in the fight. Uh, I'm back in the fight. You should be in it as well. This is Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mm-hmm. 
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk about something else for a change. Dating, for example. We're going to talk to Nadia Essex, who's our dating expert here at Talk Radio. Nadia, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Now, the last time I saw you was when we filmed Plank of the Week and you got me into quite a bit of trouble by making somebody take a paparazzi shot of us outside when you were pregnant. And a lot of people started saying to me uh, on social media, is it yours? I had to deny it. I had to say, no, absolutely nothing to do with me. Um, So thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now that would have been a bit of a scandalous one. Well, it it? would have been. what, What fun. Well, it would have been. Anyway, how are you and how's the baby? very well he is currently napping thank goodness excellent excellent <laughs> now I, I my 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 thoughts turn to you this morning because a big picture on the front page of the, of the times this morning of a woman called whitney wolfherd who's created a feminist dating app now um i've got nothing against dating apps i don't use them it's not the sort of thing i would do she used to work for tinder apparently and was a bit uh, disturbed about the way tinder operated and lots of people have told me that tinder is not a very nice place to go but her dating app has not only turned her into a billionaire but it's a brand new thing where only women can approach men is that is that sort of um is that good do you think well first of all I hate the term feminist dating app yes. i just think it's so ugh, it would that in itself would turn me off i'd never download something that that calls itself a feminist dating app like what does that even mean right does that mean you can only it's date nonsense. feminists on it yeah it's just nonsense but i personally i'm an old-fashioned gal i have never downloaded bumble and never would because i i like the man to make the first move mm. And that's just how I personally like to date. And that's how I've always dated. And I just, the thought of going on a dating app and having just a load of like lazy men sitting there waiting for me to be like, hi, before they can chat, Mm. it doesn't appeal to me. However, I know there are a huge amount of women that met their husbands on Bumble and more power to them. It's, you know, horses for courses, not my bag, but... You know, the woman's a billionaire, so I can't really slate her. Well, she's obviously found a market. There's no question about that. But I suppose the difficulty for me is that I'm all about equality, right? I believe in equality. I think women and men are exactly the same. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what colour you are. I don't care who you are, really. Um, If I want to talk to you, I'll talk to you. If I don't want to talk to you, I won't talk to you. And I think this is not an equal situation, it seems to me, because it gives power to one side rather than the other. Yeah, well, I think I understand the kind of the sales pitch behind it, you know, like trying to empower women to be in control of of their dating. But I just think they're preying on a, a society driven need for women to feel like I don't want a man to open the door for me i i'm not like like, it's almost like women that like the old-fashioned values of romance Mm. and now you're not allowed to say that anymore that's now not pc you're not allowed to admit that you like a man to open the door for you or like him to pull out a chair or like him to pay for a first date well i was gonna say you know if, if, if yeah if the woman is asking the guy out on a date does that mean she has to pay for dinner well technically yes which no (laughs) (laughs) but this is what i mean you know if i'm if i was on i mean i can't really envisage what it would be like if i was on one of these things but if say for example some woman said to me she fancy going out for dinner um i would assume um that she was going to be paying 
probably. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it is it, the kind of the, the written rule really is that whoever asks pays. Yeah. Um, which is why I always like the men to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it certainly saves you quite a lot of money. Also, if the dinner's not very good, you don't really want to pay for it. But I mean, I just, I just, find, I, maybe I'm just too old for this stuff. But I just find that this would create more problems. Um, than it would solve. And I can understand women saying, look, I don't like Tinder because there's too many creepy men there and they do terrible things and they send horrible pictures that I don't want to look at. And that's fine. Mm. In which case, I would not just go on a dating app at all. But I think if... if so, I know some men, if they're asked out by a woman, they will automatically assume, um, without putting too fine a point on it, that the woman wants them. Rather, yes. than, rather than it's a kind of experimental, let's see how it goes kind of thing. You know? Yeah, and I know a lot of men that would date a woman just literally to pass the time. Yeah. They have no interest in a long-term relationship, <laughs> but it's more fun to go on a date with a woman and have a female company than yeah. sit at home ordering pizza. Whereas yeah. I know a lot of women that wouldn't dress up and get ready and go for a date if they didn't think this had less potential yeah. to go somewhere. Right. Yeah, and I think that's where so it's it already starts... it's skewed. The balance yeah. is way off. And mm. and again, I just think it's it's sort of like it's like yeah go women and it actually there's a lot of women that like like myself that like the traditional values like the traditional ways it worked very well for you know most of my friends grandparents and all the people that have been married longer than a decade yes. and i'm a bit like if it's not broke don't fix it i know it's not perfect the old school way of dating but it's certainly you know chivalry manners romance like those are my core values and mm. i just think when you've got you know women running around being like me strong feminist woman i ask i am did it it's like whoa whoa chill yeah. like it's okay <laughs> yeah it's like i am woman hear me roar uh no yeah. thanks actually uh if you, but, but you know here's the other thing i suppose for a lot of men it might be easier as well because in this kind of toxic masculinity world that we live in where every man is a potential you know criminal and he's probably a misogynist and he might have to be retrained and taken to a dark room and pummeled with a rubber hose before he you know starts to talk sense i suppose for some men it's easier because they're not going to be uh, risking you know giving offense to anyone Exactly. And it also, again, it, it sort of perpetuates, it plays on the kind of stereotypes that men can't be trusted and men are all men are bad yeah. and all men are predators and all men are, you know, someone to watch out for. And it, it, I just think that it kind of preys on the, a certain type of woman and man and, and it, it's just not healthy in the long run because... It's about, like you say, it is about equality. And, and I, I, although I have old fashioned values in the beginning of the relationship, as the relationship goes on, you know, of course, I, you know, I cook dinner. I take my I used to take my ex away on holidays like the the financial side that way balanced out because that's equal. But but for me, it's like in the beginning, how do I know if I'm like a part time girl, a potential girlfriend or just somebody to waste time yeah. with unless he is telling me and making the effort to like book the date and woo me. Yeah. And I think a lot of men as well, if they're having everything bought for them and everything's paid for them by, by the, by somebody else, I don't think they feel any kind of ownership of that. Then all they it's very feel, emasculating. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, it may, may suit plenty of people, but it's, it's, I think it's for, for a lot of men, uh, that means it's not very serious for them. I agree. I completely agree. I think, you know, I, I do. The men that I date like the role of wooing. 
hunter. Yeah. You know, that that type of like they like that role and I like being hunted. And so for, for me it works perfectly well, but I like you said there's plenty of people that doesn't suit. Mm. I totally get that. But I but I just you know, we have to be so careful these days that we don't go so far woke that that actually the people that like it the way that it is you know are now not allowed to express their opinion because mm. oh no you can't say that oh oh no you can't have a man open the door for you well yeah. yeah i can it makes me feel good and it makes the man who opens the door because i'm very grateful feel good too exactly and also he can open the door and you can still pay for dinner what's the difference you know but how about this right wolf heard um said she set up her feminist app from her own dating experiences i always wanted to have a scenario where the guy didn't have my number well that's going to make life a bit difficult isn't it yeah, but but that happens on Tinder. You just don't give them your number. Yeah, right. Like, I know. It's not. She she hasn't created like a thing where it's like you actually, you know, you don't have to give people on people on Tinder don't get your, your no, number. No, unless it's you like want that. to give it to them, presumably. It's, which is the same on every dating app. Unless you want to take it over to what WhatsApp or, or take mm. it over to the phone, you don't give out your number. Like that's not a USP. That's just standard dating practice. Well, exactly. And also, you'll be pleased to know that our feminist uh, Whitney Wolf Heard champion is married to the heir to an oil fortune. <laughs> oh, so I tell you, to, uh, I wouldn't mind being reincarnated as her child. Well, indeed, absolutely right. Well, listen, great to see you, Nadia. Hope you're well, and uh, hopefully, and once um, once life gets back to normal, we'll perhaps see you in the studio. Definitely, I cannot wait. I need right. some cocktails with Mike Graham. Absolutely honestly. right. I'm not paying. I am. Okay. No, I am paying. I'm not. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Nadia, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Nadia Essex, dating expert. Uneasy, uh, she says, with the idea that only women have the power uh, in a dating app. It seems a bit weird. It does seem a bit strange. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. We will also, coming up in this hour, be talking to Dr Roger Mugford, an animal behaviour expert, uh, about whether or not dogs are right-pawed or left-pawed. And you might be lucky enough, uh, if you keep your eyes peeled on YouTube and on Twitter, uh, to see pictures uh, of Ziggy, the dog, uh, who's been wandering around on the beach uh, lately. You might have pictures of him. Uh, you might even see whether he is right or left-pawed. We shall see. But let's say a very good afternoon to Angela Levin. Angela, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, it's, it struck me that uh, it's been a couple of days now since Piers Morgan's uh, amazing interview with Tucker Carlson over in America on, on uh, Fox Nation, because Piers uh, said he was not going to do any media in this country, but he's obviously decided that it's time to fight back in America because all the people that saw Meghan and Harry on Oprah Winfrey need to see him. And it was quite devastating what he said about her. He didn't by any means uh, shy away from it. He doubled down very much on it. And a lot of people are saying to me, isn't it interesting that Meghan hasn't challenged any of it? She hasn't sort of offered to sue him like she does so often when she doesn't like something that's written about her. And uh, it would tend to suggest that uh, she must not be too happy about it. No, of course. She, I think it's a bit like a verbal f um, boxing match, mm. isn't it? Um, each of them win a round and the other one comes back and is more spiteful or more difficult or says more things. Um, I mean, they have the one thing in common, and that is neither of them like to lose out. No. So they'll carry on bashing away. And I imagine that it's still the lawyers are working out if there's a sentence or a verb or something that um, Piers said that they could jump on. Mm. So um, I think it's a bit uh, precipitous to actually say she hasn't come back yet. She's a very determined woman, heavily pregnant or not. She will want to fight back. Um, 
And of course, what a lot of what Piers said, we already knew in this country. Um, he worked out that there were 17 lies or exaggerations. Mm. Um, and, and that's really true. Yes. Um, and it's one thing for her to sort of convince all of her mates and all of the people that like her that she's telling the truth. But it's quite another, of course, to prove that in a court of law. Um, even if she gets that judge in uh, in London who likes her and doesn't seem to like the Mail on Sunday very much and keeps giving her yeah. uh, sort of handing her the victories, but you know um, she would have to prove that uh, somehow Piers Morgan had libelled her. And in America, of course, um, you will know this as well as I do. It's much more difficult to win a libel suit in America because you have to prove malice. Um, and ch and frankly speaking, I think that would be impossible. Well, she's got a very very aggressive legal team. And I think it's always amazing what these lawyers can come up with. Mm. I was astonished um, over the Mail on Sunday issue, what they came up with, what they suggested, what they put forward. And I think, um, you know, Piers is a brave man, but let's wait and see. I, I think she'll come up with something or they will come up with something really uh, extraordinarily unusual, but which they will try to take the better of him. But the other thing to remember, of course, is that Meghan's uh, fans, of which there are some, particularly in America, um, don't believe a word that is said about her. Mm. Um, the whole thing about if you don't, and I, I had this email that, you know, if I don't agree with Meghan, I should be quiet. Well, I mean, that would be one of the more polite ones that you get, I presume, Angela, because I know some of the other stuff you get is not repeatable on a radio station. But I saw one of them this morning, actually. I think she's an actress, uh, obviously a friend of Meghan's, banging on about uh, this so-called garden party that Meghan talked about, which was another load of old cobblers. You know, and you'll uh, attest to this, Angela. You know, you don't get invited. You don't, you don't get invited, though, uh, on an annual basis by the palace as a royal correspondent to sit there and work out what you're going to write for the next year, do you? Well, no. I mean, I, I was there at that garden party and it's completely not what she said. Yeah. I was there. I watched them. I'd been told beforehand I was chatting to one of their senior staff and, and, and it's just not true. I mean, this is all part of the collage to stay um, a victim mm. and to look also naive. And of course, she's neither. Uh, no, quite. And that's what's rather uh, good uh, for her in terms of pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. But what do you make of this first uh, Netflix show, which is uh, on the front page of The Times today, starring role for Prince Harry in their first Netflix show, The Heart of Invictus. It's a documentary. So Harry has now completed his transformation from uh, member of the royal family, doer of good things to television star. Yeah, well, not really. Um, <laughs> I... I was with him with a lot of this Invictus um, stuff. Yeah. And he he was in America feeling incredibly depressed and he saw the Warrior Games, 200 people from America who had been wounded psychologically and physically. And he suddenly had one of those brainwaves, even Harry, that it would be a good idea to do this in the UK. That was in, two, in 2014. He didn't do the work. Everyone said he worked flat out. Um, that was done by a man called David Wiseman, who had been seriously wounded. But as David said to me, Harry gets everyone going. And that was his enthusiasm that enabled the first one to be done in, in six months, which is a hugely difficult thing to organize however now we don't have a harry who gets everyone going we have a harry who is a snob 
and who is speaks in an extraordinary literary way. Mm. I've got just two very quick examples. Everything has to have three examples. So each competitor will contribute a to a mosaic of resilience, determination, resolve. He couldn't be prouder of the Invictus community for global healing, human potential, continued service. So everything is sort of phony, stilted. Mm. He hasn't got that energy that he had when he was a bit younger, I should be polite, a bit younger. Um, and he's also going to be executive producer on this, yeah. uh, which I think is, is a joke because he's never really produced anything at all. And the obvious thing is that Megan will be telling him what to do because at least she's been in documentaries. Um, it's well, can, a you imagine when he bring, can you imagine when he brings the first cut home to her? And I mean, even though yes. she's never actually directed... She'll be there. She won't wait for him oh, to yeah. bring it home. Yeah, but I mean, she'll be all over it like a rash, won't she? Saying, well, you must take yeah. that out, put this in, change this. Is, and she's not... I mean, she's good, an actress. She's not a director. What is good about it is that the Invictus Games is a tremendously good thing and it's very moving and he will get very good stories. He wants to talk to guys and women who've been through terrible experiences and talk how they've recovered a bit of energy and a wish to live. I think all that's good, but there is a big but. There's a moral responsibility here and we have to think who's going to get the money mm. for all this. You know, is it going to Archwell? Um, is it going to Invictus Games or where is it going? That is a mystery at the moment. And I think that um, it's, it's not really a charitable exercise it's a way of getting money in. No. And although well, it's that, a I, mean, that's subject, it. I think there's a, a dark cloud there. Well, that's exactly right. And also, we're told Netflix have already given them this kind of deal whereby uh, they pay them $100 million a year or something like that. Presumably, this is part of that deal because according to Ted Sarandos, uh, who is co-chief executive of Netflix, he says the games hold a special place in their hearts and they had spoken of it in their first meeting with Harry. So this was obviously part of the deal for which Netflix have paid all that money already. Yeah, but who gets the money? That's the interesting thing. Um, and, and I think that we'll have to wait and see about that. But I do hope that Harry has a moral responsibility to the Invictus Games. And it's not a case of just grabbing more and more money and boasting about how rich they are and how well they're doing, while on the other hand, they resent the fact that Prince Charles isn't giving them money every so often. Yes, well, it may well be like some of those rock bands that play charitable concerts, but they only take their expenses, but their expenses tend to yeah, be millions and millions of pounds. Message, yeah. Also interesting to me, the two British documentary makers that they've chosen to film it, these are people uh, I have not heard of, Joanna Natasigara and Orlando von Eisendel, um, both of whom apparently worked on an Oscar-winning short about the White Helmets in Syria. Now, the White Helmets in Syria um, are a very interesting story um, because there's a lot of people who have a lot of questions about who those people are. But obviously, the virtue signalling types think that if you make a documentary about these people, that's great. Um, but they don't actually kind of question what it is perhaps that they do or who is behind them and all of that. So there's, they've sort of entered a political world here. Yes, I think they are. And this is where the royal family have to be very careful. They did say that they didn't want them to use the royal family to make lots of money. We don't know how... Um, careful they've been and it doesn't seem that they've been very careful and also i'm wondering you know the year has gone that was the 31st of march we're now in april and we haven't heard what her majesty the queen is going to do now 
Um, she took away the HMH, Her Royal Highness and His Royal Highness titles. But there is a lot of other stuff uh, mounting up where they have not behaved with respect or um, are using the royal family to for financial gain. Mm. And I'm waiting to hear what they're going to do about that. I hope something... Well, that's the, the difficult thing. And we saw a story this week as well. I know it came from Andrew Morton, an interview with him over in the States, I think, about how um, Meghan was told if she wanted to stay yeah. as an actress, she could continue to do that while having a role within the royal family. But she didn't fancy that. Yes, I, I remember that from way back before she actually got married. The Queen, who welcomed her hugely um, as a, a sort of bright, intelligent, self-made woman, um, would actually bent over backwards to try and ease her way into the royal family and said very much. But Meghan had said in the engagement interview that that was the end of a chapter and she now wanted to work with Harry. Um, um, and, and so, you know, she had the options. She had lots of options as well about which charities and patronages she chose. And the Queen gave her one about the theatre, gave her one about women and poverty, uh, Africa, and they were offered to live in Africa and lots of different places. When I spoke to Harry, he said that he'd like to leave the royal family before Meghan time and said he would love to go to Africa and help um, endangered species. And the Queen said he was very welcome to do that with Meghan. But mm. of course, we can't imagine Meghan stomping about in the mud. No, she didn't fancy the air conditioning units there, I suspect. No. But um, <laughs> um, Let's talk a little bit about William and Kate, because I presume Meghan will be incandescent this weekend as William and Kate celebrate their 10th wedding anniversary and get lots of coverage. I know the Sun are doing a big sort of uh, uh, anniversary edition of a, of a magazine for them. All the newspapers will be doing the same thing. Um, William and Kate now look very much as though they are preparing to be, um, you know, the, 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 if not the next king and queen uh, of the United Kingdom. Uh, they're certainly fulfilling that role, aren't they? Oh, they absolutely are. And if you think what um, Catherine uh, dealt with before she married Prince William, all the aggression, all the weighty Katie names that they gave her and surrounding her with paparazzi because then if she wasn't a member of the royal family she couldn't get any help or or protection mm. um and she's just quietly gone her own way and what i admire most is that she's really learned things she's studied them she's an expert and um, where she's gone to a charity she's learned everything beforehand she's modest she's going there to thank people, to help people, not here I am at another charity. It's nothing like that. And she also has made a man of William, mm. really. He was a macho man, but she's helped him understand what a, a, a comfortable family is like and the advantages of being a father. He's softened up. He's understood um, what else is important in life? And she doesn't try to overrule him. She doesn't. She's not over competitive to no. beat him. She's no, they they, they seem him. they seem to have, and nobody could ever know for sure. But they seem to have a very yeah. equal marriage. They seem to have a very kind of, if you'll pardon the expression, quite a normal marriage. You know. Yeah. Well, that's I think what he needed, and that's helped him get over his mother's death. We forget or put to the back that he and Harry had the same experience, yes. and William tried to recover from that and move on and do what his mother would like, but in a in his own way, but be positive. And Harry's still burning with resentment, 
can't help different characteristics mm. in people, but you just see the difference. Megan, I think, brings out the worst in him, and Kate brings out the best yes. in him. That's a very good observation, actually. I like that. Well, finally, what should we expect her to do? Because, you know, what we always see whenever there's an, an occasion that the royal family wants to celebrate in one way, shape or form, whether it's Camilla, Prince Charles, whether it's William, whether it's Kate, and Megan always kind of conspires to come up with something to get herself noticed. What do you think she's going to do this time? She'll have her baby. <laughs> what you think this weekend? Well, yeah, she's got to do something dramatic. <laughs> well, you never know. I wouldn't be at all surprised. Angela, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Angela Levin, royal biographer there. Uh, what is Megan going to do uh, this weekend to counter all the good publicity that William and Kate are going to get? There will be something. Trust me. Uh, this is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.